I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer vital health questions that will help you thrive, like, what does my mental health have to do with my gut? How can I prevent melanoma? How much sleep do I really need? And how can I manage my health without a family doctor? I chat with the top experts to bring you the latest evidence in plain language, all in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Coming up on The Cost of Living. There's a nice view around here. Uh, this location, we have here mature trees. And then also this place is close to our children's places so that it could be more convenient for them to visit. Jun Cho is making plans for the kids to visit. Not his new home, but a place he will be spending a lot of time. Eventually. And just like above-ground real estate, buying six feet under ain't cheap. Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrude. Welcome to the Halloween edition of The Cost of Living. Today, we have chills, thrills, and, even scarier, Canadian real estate prices. So high, they could follow you to the grave. Also on the show, you know what murders at the box office? Like, slays? horror movies. And in today's world, they are money in the blood bank. (laughs) And speaking of scary movies, remember what happens when you feed a mogwai after midnight? We look at the gremlins now stalking Canada's economy. What's Halloween without a few scares? Zombies, killer clowns, a good haunted house will get your hair standing on end. Right now, Molly Lerbeckmo doesn't need any make-believe frights. She has enough going on in her real life. I think I went from 1.8% to um, 5.99. So that increase, like, just in terms of like my monthly budget uh, was astronomical. So just had such a huge impact, you know, a 600 plus dollar increase a month for my mortgage. And that's a massive, massive jump up. Molly is 34. She works as a teacher in Didsbury, a small town north of Calgary. She got divorced a little while ago, decided she would buy her ex-husband out of the house. That meant she had to renew the mortgage. And that's when the Bank of Canada's interest rate hikes for her, got real. When the interest rates are rising that much and then you have mortgage payments going up and credit card payments going up and all the things increasing, but you're still bringing in the same amount of money, it makes it obviously very difficult to to plan for anything. And I think that's really hard, like to just focus on like your day-to-day things. Like I want to be a good mom for my kids and I want to be a good teacher and do a do well at my job, and then you have all of that in the back of your head, and it's um, it's really heavy. So even things like going out to a movie, so that's almost out of reach for us now, and that I feel like that shouldn't be our reality. Like, um, 
it just, it, I don't know, it really lessens the amount of things we can do. And it has a massive impact on our kids too. Like things like hockey, like I said, um, have become stressful because there's tournaments and there's fees and there's all these things that you have. There's fundraising, like the amount of fundraisers we have to participate in. And, and it just makes it, um, it takes the joy out of a lot of things, which I think is really disappointing. Molly is spending more on her mortgage and less on everything else. This is what the Bank of Canada wants. Consumer spending falls, and that helps bring down inflation. But not so much that we get job losses or a recession. The good news is, most economists seem to think this can happen. But the night is dark and full of terrors. You yell trick-or-treat, and you don't always get the full-size chocolate bar. Sometimes you get candy corn. So, in the spirit of the season, let's face our fears. Well, there's a, uh, a whole list as you peel back the onion when it comes to the Canadian economic outlook. And I'd say that, you know, the first item would be what's happening domestically, especially with interest rates and housing, and then secondarily, the deteriorating outlook for the global economy at the same time. David Rosenberg is the head of Rosenberg Research. He's been an economist on Bay Street and Wall Street for a long time. And he thinks, right now, Canadians should listen to the things that go bump in the night. The situation in Canada is that we are very susceptible, especially in the consumer sector, uh, to rising interest rates. And that's because so many Canadian households took on variable rate mortgages and it's becoming pay the piper time. A lot of people took on mortgages in the last decade with rates around 2%. Now they're renewing and it's more like 7%. So the piper is getting paid a lot. Total Canadian consumer debt is at a record $2.3 trillion. Most of that is for mortgages. It's a big, scary number. But it's also been a looming threat for years, and we've been okay. So why would the poltergeist pick now to suck us into the television? The problem becomes when you have record levels of debt bumping against a 5% interest rate is a lot different than when rates are zero, one, or two percent. So it's the debt that's bumping against the level of interest rates that causes the impairment to cash flows needed to service that debt to your bank. And so what happens is that you get delinquencies, late payments, defaults. Uh, what do the banks end up doing? They end up tightening their lending guidelines. They hunker down. They shrink their balance sheets. And that's when you get the domino impact. Rosenberg worries the Bank of Canada has overdone it with rate hikes. It's squeezing people too hard. Like Molly, a lot of people are pouring money into mortgage payments and cutting back on everything else. Consumer spending makes up about 60% of Canada's economic activity, so as the consumer goes, so goes the economy. Over 1 in 10 Canadians are fearing a job loss in the next 12 months. 1 in 10. That is not a small number. And so you have to ask yourself the question, this 10% plus 
of the workforce that are concerned about their job, do you really think they're going to be going out and spending a lot of money on uh, travel and tourism and eating out uh, or even, you know, refurnishing their home? That's not going to happen. So the job situation is certainly starting to take a turn from what was a very hot market in the past several years, especially with the reopening of the economy and all the stimulus that we had that's now in the rearview mirror to something totally different in the next 12 months. That's what worries him here at home. But what about other places? There's a whole big world out there. I mean, you could look at the United States and say that it's somehow a miracle that the U.S. has so far avoided recession. But I think that will be a 2024 story. Uh, I'm not throwing the recession theme into the waste paper basket. Uh, I just think that it's been delayed, but it has not been derailed. So our largest trading partner could be teetering. How about the world's second largest economy? We've got China in its own property market and debt implosion. Their economy is deflating. It's borderline recession. Okay. What about Europe? Germany looks set to enter a downturn too. And being the engine of growth, it's now the caboose in Europe. And that poses big risks uh, for Europe, which is the biggest economic unit in the world. You know how at the end of the horror movie, there's one character who's still alive? She's known as the final girl. Nev Campbell in Scream, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, they beat the killer. Rosenberg doesn't think the final girl will get away this time. Not with the risks facing the global economy and what higher interest rates mean for consumer debt here at home. We have a double whammy here in Canada. It really sets us up for a perfect storm uh, of a recession in Canada that'll take place before too long and will be a dominant theme for the coming 12 months. David Rosenberg doesn't think Canada can escape a recession. Now, he has been one of the more pessimistic voices on Bay Street for some time. And so far, no recession. Gotta feel good about that, right? I hear that all the time. The recession hasn't happened yet. Therefore, it's not going to happen. I heard that so much in 2007, even in 2000. It's like saying, uh, you know, here we are in Calgary and it didn't snow in December. Therefore, winter's not going to happen. I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. Halloween comes from an ancient Celtic tradition that marked the death of summer. People wore costumes to disguise themselves from evil spirits. Dressing up as zombie Barbie may not help us hide from the evil recession spirits, but if you have a pink jumpsuit and a cowboy hat, well, couldn't hurt to throw it on. This is The Cost of the Living Dead. I'm Paul Habershrude. Do you like scary movies? Me? I saw The Wizard of Oz as a kid. The Wicked Witch. The Flying Monkeys. It really freaked me out for life. So, I'm definitely not a fan. But I could be alone. Our producer Jennifer Keen finds, at the box office, scary movies are 
anything but frightening. Laura Oney's love for scary movies started young, like really young. I have loved horror movies ever since my brother actually propped me up when I was about three or four years old during his babysitting time, uh, and we watched The Terminator together. I'll be back. It was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. (laughs) So I was way too young for that, and my brother definitely should not have shown me that at that age, but I was addicted from that moment on. If it's got blood or hauntings, Laura is there for it. In the last decade, horror movies have doubled their share of the box office. It certainly remains the most dependable genre there is right now. Aaron Couch is film editor for The Hollywood Reporter in Los Angeles. He says horror is a safe bet for studios. You give these kind of rather untested filmmakers a little bit of money, you know, $3 million, and you can end up with a movie that makes $200 million or, you know, something like that. So it's, um, yeah, you know, the the train has not slowed down on horror like it has on, on certainly the superhero genre. Compared to superhero movies, horror is a bargain. It doesn't need CGI, and it doesn't need big name actors. The last Fast and Furious movie, which uh, made a decent amount of money, but I think it was a $300 million movie, and you know, $100 million of that was just star salaries. Last year, some of the spookiest movies were also the most profitable. Movies like Scream, <laughs> The Black Phone, and Smile. I'm seeing something no one else can see except for me. It's smiling at me. Ugh. Now, scary movies have been around since Frankenstein met the mummy. So why are they having a moment now? Uh, Horror films are just really fun to watch because they're so unpredictable. They have plot twists. Um, They're also a reflection of our times. Edmund Rotia is a filmmaker in Edmonton. He helped produce a chilling indie called Skinnamarink. In this house. In this world. About a couple of kids who wake up alone in their house with only the glow of a TV screen for company. It came out after months of pandemic lockdowns. Yeah, I remember a time when I was working from home and um, and a lot of people were, were, were uh, who were working from home. Um, the only thing that they were looking at was the glow of a display screen. Edmund says horror movies are often allegories for the real scary stuff, like COVID. Watching them can be an outlet for our fears. As Laura Oney says, it's cathartic. You're able to go, you're able to have a rush of feelings. Like comedy, you know, you're laughing in comedy and in horror you're scared. And you're able to release your pent-up emotions through that venue. And then what I like about horror is afterwards, you're safe. You get to go curl up into the comfort of your bed and know that it was just a movie and everything's going to be okay. For the cost of living, I'm Jennifer Keene. 
Hi, I'm Phelan Johnson. And I'm Leah Simone Bowen, and we look at history a bit differently. Have you ever wondered how hundreds of wild horses came to inhabit an island in the Atlantic Ocean? Or what Lord of the Rings and a small town in Manitoba have in common? Or the burning question, did Canada invent the teen drama? The Secret Life of Canada is a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Halloween edition of The Cost of Living. I'm Paul Haverschrude. The price of prime real estate in Canada can be downright scary. And if you think living in cities like Toronto or Vancouver is expensive, our producer Ellis Cho says, just wait for what happens next. Ellis, you're here to talk real estate. I am. You know how high real estate prices are in Canada. Well, they could follow us to the grave. Is this going to get dark? Just a little. Because most of us, we don't like to think about death. No, I don't. I try to avoid it always. (laughs) But it's a reality. And people and their families have to deal with it every day, including myself. My parents, they're getting older. Jun and Sung Cho, they're practical people, always planning ahead. So they decided to look for their own grave sites. And a few months ago, we went to look around a cemetery in Calgary. There's a nice view around here. Uh, this location, we have here mature trees. And then also this place is close to our children's places so that it could be more convenient for them to visit. My dad wanted an inner city location. My mom cared more about the location of the plot itself. You know, I like a corner location. You know why? I like to have more room me. (laughs) She likes to spread out. (laughs) Yeah, she likes her space. She doesn't like feeling crowded. Gary Dodlin is in charge of cemeteries at the city of Calgary, and he says buying a burial plot is just like buying any other kind of real estate. It really is. It's sort of like buying a house. (laughs) Location, location, location. So, And prices will vary based on location. If you want the penthouse in that Calgary cemetery, say a spot in that mausoleum, you could pay as much as $92,000. That's like a Lexus. It's very shishi in there. All the walls are marble. The building is temperature controlled. And that'll cost you. Because this particular building has to be maintained in perpetuity. Um, And it is a premium product. Okay, but what if you don't need the marble pillars? You just want something a little more modest. Well, for a traditional gravesite in Calgary, you're looking at around 4,000 bucks. But if you buy that same casket lot in Canada's hottest real estate markets like Toronto or Vancouver, it'll cost you more than $30,000. 30K. They say you can't take it with you, but still. And prices are only going up. Eric Lees has been designing cemeteries for more than 25 years, and he says we haven't been building enough of them. There is a looming crisis. We have this uh, aging baby boomer population, and we have not planned for that increase in the number of deaths. That's one of the, the, the main reasons. The other is, is just competition for land, um, whether it's the Agricultural Land Reserve in BC or the Greenbelt system in Ontario. Uh, combined with urbanization everywhere, there's uh, fewer and fewer places where cemeteries can be, um, can be located or expanded. 
In the last two decades, around five and a half million people died in Canada. In the next 20 years, that number is expected to increase by 60%. And all those people will need to go somewhere. So that is going to be a lot of new demand for cemeteries. And you know what a lot of demand and not much supply means for prices. In Calgary, Gary Dodlin says prices have gone up 20% over the past decade or so. In Vancouver's oldest city cemetery, prices jumped more than 50% over the same time period. All right, so if we step back and look at this in the big picture, what is overall demand in Canada like for burial sites versus whatever other options are out there, like cremation? Well, more people are choosing cremation, but even then, many want to have their ashes buried in a cemetery. And for a lot of cultures and religions, cremation is not even an option. Given the... uh the desire of, uh, of uh, especially our new Canadian population, as well as Jewish and Aboriginal people, First Nations people, need to be buried in the ground. We still need space for traditional burial. And remember, our population grew by a million this past year. So what's being done about this? Or, or can anything be done about this? Well, some cities are getting creative. In Vancouver, there's only one municipal cemetery, and it actually closed in the 80s because they ran out of space. But then they came up with a plan. They did what a lot of inner-city neighborhoods have done, putting two houses where there used to be one. They've gone through uh, an infill program, which is akin to uh, an infilling from a single-family residential lot to a multi-family residential lot. They've they've densified uh, on redundant roads and pathways and uh, graves that were not um, uh, used 50 years ago and so on. And so they've slowly found, you know, 100 here, 50 here, 25 there, and brought those back to the market. Then get this. Four years ago, the cemetery brought in a new policy where you can share a grave and split the cost with someone you don't even know. Come on. This is like getting a roommate, but just like forever. Yeah, forever. But you don't have to get along. And in some Quebec cemeteries, you can rent your grave for a fixed term, um, say 25 or 50 years. But what happens after that, like when your lease runs out? Well, your family can renew the lease. If not, Then someone else moves in. Eric Lees says ideas like these are kind of new to us, but they're really common in Europe. In Holland, for example, uh, several people can be buried in one grave, strangers even, uh, two or three on top of each other in one grave. Um, And for a fixed term of... uh, of 15 or 20 years. And that would would go a long ways towards... Um, making cemeteries sustainable so that one generation after the other could be buried in the same in the same location. Okay, so we have grave sharing, we have grave renting. What about just adding to supply, you know, building more cemeteries? New cemeteries are being built. Eric says between 10 to 15 have been built over the last few years across Canada, but it's still nowhere close to what we need. And it's not really top of the agenda for a lot of cities. Well, in the same way that uh, very few of us like to talk about our own mortality, uh, planners are not trained uh, 
to to planned cemeteries. Um, politicians uh, steer clear of it uh, because it's an emotionally loaded subject. Um, and developers uh, just have not seen cemeteries as a uh, as a as an opportunity uh, on the whole. Um, and so cemeteries have fallen between the cracks. So in the meantime, he believes the European model is the way to go. Sharing, leasing, whatever can be done to make the most of the space we have. And that space is at a premium. I mean, your parents found that out. Did they find a place? Not only did they find a place, they bought the headstone, had it installed, and got it engraved. How do you feel standing here and seeing your names on a headstone? Well, we are quite happy to see that, you know. It's readily set it up, and we know eventually where our body is going to go. I feel very strange to see my name there. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I feel strange. It was very weird. But my dad, he's a really practical kind of guy. What's wrong to do in advance? We, we just want to take the burden away from our children to have anything, whatever, you know, to do after, you know, uh, the day comes. Is there room for me in there? <laughs> uh, actually, this particular location, we can bury four urns. We are going to use two. So whoever would like to join, two more, our family members can join us. Ellis, <laughs> <laughs> are you moving back in with your parents? Uh, not yet. <laughs> All right, but you wouldn't have to make your bed if you did. True. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thank you. That's the show for this week. Coming up next week... In this day and age of affordable housing crisis, we really have to look at better use of all city land, including underused asphalt. (laughs) What is underused asphalt? Well, she's talking about streets and giving some of the space that goes to cars to housing. Skinny streets, more houses. That's next week. That's the show for this week. The Cost of Living is based in Calgary. The show is produced because, hey, teamwork makes the scream work. By Danielle Nerman, Ellis Shoo, and Jennifer Keen, with help from Caroline Pumpkin Spice Ferris. Our executive producer is Tracy Johnson. I'm Paul Haverschrude. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.